So today, Built to Last with the series Walking with a King. Without question, without question, the greatest missionary of all time, of all time, if there is something that we could call a missionary and define as a missionary, you won't find that word missionary in the Bible anywhere. Uh, there were men who were on a mission, but they were never referred to as missionaries um, because that's all of us in one sense or another. But if there were going to be someone that could be called a missionary, and we could use the word as we understand the word today in our modern church world, the greatest missionary of all time, without doubt, would be who? Jesus Christ. Without doubt, he would be the greatest missionary of all time. First of all, because he built a kingdom. He built an entire kingdom out of people who were able to carry on his purpose by doing one thing. And that was by being committed to the integrity of the mission. He relied on men and women to be committed to the integrity of the mission. Those are two big words, being committed for one and then having integrity is the second. It's one thing to have a mission. It's another thing to find people that are committed to it. And then those who are committed to it, do they have the ability to maintain the integrity of it? To not dilute it, water it down, distort it. And this is what he was able to do. He was able to find people, when we talk about walking with a king, and we go all the way back to the very first part of the series when I was talking about the follow me. And he went to these men that he would speak to, and he would say to them, Matthew, follow me. Philip, follow me. Peter, James, John, follow me. And he would speak to them, and he would say, follow me. None of these men, and I've said this every week, and I say it again today, none of these men, when he called them to follow him, were born again. Not a single disciple was born again when he called them to walk with him. In fact, we don't even know that they, all of them even had relationship with God. In fact, it's, it's quite accepted that Matthew, which is the one I use most frequently, was not. Matthew was an enemy of the Jewish people, even though he was Jewish. He was an enemy because he was a tax collector. So they were angry at him. He, did, he was not their friend. They were not his. He was busy doing the work of the Romans. And in that light, it did not stop Christ from going to this guy that most of the church world in today's scene, we would look at him and we would say, we can't use him because he doesn't even believe what we believe. He isn't even walking where we're walking. He doesn't see things the way that we see things. He hasn't done his time yet. He hasn't been serving the Lord long enough or at all. And most of the church world today would have walked right by Matthew and not given him the time of day. But the awesome thing about Jesus Christ was he had the ability to look into a man's soul and to see whether or not in that soul there was contempt or there was possibility. And he would look into him, what kind of integrity does this person have? And does he have what it takes to be a craftsman? Does this man or woman have what it takes in that regard, anyway, the disciples? Does this man have what it takes to maintain and to be a builder of something that is going to require people with a whole lot of grit. No doubt if you lined up 50 people and you said, do you believe you have, do you believe about yourself that you have grit? 
There is no question that all 50 of those people would say, absolutely, I believe that I have grit. Now, some of them, it might be true. But others are going to say, because we always want to believe the very best about ourselves, even if it isn't the truth. And the only person often that knows it's not the truth is us. Now, sometimes a lot of people know that that might not be the truth. But often, the only person that really knows the deepest truth about us is us. And if you line up those 50 people and you say, do you have grit? 50 people would say, I have grit. Would you, do you have integrity? I have integrity. And every time they would answer the question, I have grit, I have integrity, there would be a momentary memory loss for the moment that there was a need for integrity and they came up short. Or there was a need for grit and they came up short. I'm glad, I'm glad that those moments that all of us have come up short, Christ has not held that against us as long as we're quick to repent. As long as we're quick to repent. And what he saw in the disciples, he did not see flawless men. Hear what I'm telling you right now. He didn't look at the disciples and see men who were flawless, or men who were sinless, or men who were just good men without the possibility to make mistakes. He didn't see that. He saw men capable of making mistakes. He saw men he knew were going to make mistakes. Remember, all of them walked away from him. I reiterate that every single week. It wasn't just Judas that walked away. Judas betrayed, but everyone else walked away. Whether it was five minutes a day or three days, they all bailed on him in his time of need. Every single one of them. But he looked at them and he said, he saw something in them, not perfection. What he saw was possibility. He saw men that knew how to dig deep and knew that if they messed up, there was something in them that he knew they would be quick to repent and they did not have, the one thing they did not have was such a selfish desire that they would not be able to say, I was wrong. They lacked pride, the wrong kind of pride. They lacked the kind of pride that says they're always right and no one else is. That's the right kind of pride to lack. And yet they had the kind of pride, the right kind of pride, they possessed that said, once I believe in something, Your pack of dogs can't pull me away from the piece of meat that I believe in. Because I'm going to cling to this thing and I'm going to hang on to it. So he was willing to go to a Matthew and to a Peter and a James and a John, all the others. He was willing to go to them and he was willing to say, follow me. Not because you're perfect, not because you're the best pick, because you're the right pick. Not because you're the most qualified, but because you're the most right. I'm going to call you out. I want you to follow me, and they do. And I want to talk about this for a moment, about these that he built a kingdom with because they were committed. Everybody say this with me. They were committed to the integrity of the mission. So the first thing I want to address this morning is that, being committed to the mission. So turn with me in Matthew chapter 16, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 16. I want to read this to you, 
verse 13. In fact, before I go there, let me step back just a moment and, and, and help you understand something. Keep in mind that when Jesus began to do his work, when he began to minister and when he began to change lives and he began to present the gospel to a world that had never received it before, in our minds we think, there was already some form of gospel there. He was just correcting the few things that were out of place. There was nothing like the gospel present. He introduced to the world something the world had never seen. He introduced to the world an idea, a philosophy, a thought, something that had never been seen. It's like bringing into the earth, suddenly one day somebody stands up and says, I invented this little contraption that has no cords attached, but you can put that up to your ear and you can talk to another person anywhere in the world. No one had ever done that before. And everybody that was in the room that heard the first person say, this thing is going to be called a mobile phone, and you can talk to anybody in the world and it operates on a battery, or go all the way back to the very first phone with a cord. Go as far back as you want to the first time. No one had ever done it, but he introduces to the world this contraption that enables you to communicate all the way across the world, even before that with telegraph. And you, go, you keep going back and you back, and the first time something was introduced that had never been conceived, and man looks at it and thinks, you've lost your mind. When electricity, electricity wasn't invented, the ability to harness electricity is what was discovered, not invented. And when harness between Tesla and, um, what's the other guy's name? Bell, thank you, I drew a blank. Between Tesla and Bell, as they begin to discover how to harness it, whether it was through alternating current or direct current, DC or AC, when they begin to discover how can we harness this current, this electricity, the world looked at that and thought, there is no way you're going to put this thing called a bulb out there and it's going to take the place of a candle or a torch. And they bring this in and the whole world is thinking, you are wasting your time. What impact could you possibly make? You can't, I can't even imagine trying to gather this morning without lights in this room, air conditioning in this room in Florida. Who would even come? Nobody comes for Jesus, they come for the electricity, they come for the AC, the comfortable chairs and the lights. That's not a true statement. But he introduced to the world something the world had never even conceived. Even the Jewish people believed that they thought they would recognize the Messiah when he came. But when the Messiah came, he looked so different than what their printed material told him he would look like. He did not match their understanding, their interpretation of what the Messiah would look like. And it required him to do something, Jacob, supernatural. 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 Outside of the natural. Beyond the natural. It required something of the miraculous. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13, reads like this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's look at three things. The some say, the who do you say, and the mission. Let's look back at verse 14. Jesus said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, everybody say, some say, say. you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah. And others say you're one of the prophets. Confusion. They don't know who you are. Who do people say that I am? They don't know who you are. They're trying to figure it out. You have so messed up their theology. They don't even know what to call you. They're intrigued. They're interested. They're curious. They're, they're standing on the outside looking in. They're up in trees, sitting in branches. They're watching you. They're witnessing the things that you're doing. They just don't know what to call you. They're, they're very confused. And then Jesus gets to the root of it. And he says, but this is really what I want to know. That's what they say. But you walk with me. You walk with a king. They're not walking with a king. They're watching a king. They're looking through the window. They're on the outside of the building looking through the window. They're watching a king, but you're walking with a king. What's different between those who watch a king and those who walk with a king? Who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Listen to me. Jesus Christ did not come into the earth and introduced to the, introduced to the earth something so outside of what the earth was ready for in the earth's mind. He didn't come and introduce himself and the gospel to the earth so that it could be a passing moment. He came to build something that would last. And that wouldn't just last from Sunday to Saturday, but would last forever and ever and ever and ever. 
He came to do something that would revolutionize the way people communicated with one another. What they talked about when they were sitting around their table. What they talked about when they were sitting in their living room by the fire or catching fish in a boat on the ocean or mending tents in the shop in the backyard. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied in verse 16 and he said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and he said, hallelujah. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Father. I can build something with this. Those who don't know who I am and what my capability is in their life, I can't build anything with that because if they live in confusion now, they'll live in confusion tomorrow and they'll live in confusion the next week. Those that cannot accept that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, will never be able to live in the house that I plan to build. They're always going to be asking themselves, but is he this or is he that or can he do this or can he do that? He said, I'm looking for people that says he can do this and he can do that because he is this and he is that. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And he says, those are the ones I can build with and those are the ones that I can establish the kingdom with and it won't just be a passing moment or a passing fad and when the winds come up it's not just going to blow it away but I can build something that will last with that and Jesus answered and he said blessed are you Simon Barjona and I'm sure it was more than just looking at him and saying blessed are you it was probably a celebration just like I did a moment ago yes you get it You get it. It is worth it, Father. You sent me here, and it's worth it. I have found one. I have found one who believes, and he says this to Simon. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We need to ask ourselves the question sometimes, does the Father... Trust us, enough, trust us enough to reveal anything to us that we could not know by flesh and blood. You need to hear what I just said. Does he trust you enough to reveal the unknown to you because you will believe it by the Spirit, not by flesh and blood? Does he trust you enough? And see, he couldn't trust those who didn't accept who he was. They just never could settle on. He's really the Christ and he's really worth serving. Well, some say you're this, some say you're that. Well, I can't do anything for them because the Father's not going to reveal anything to those who can't make up their mind who I even am. He's not going to reveal himself to anybody who can't decide who I am in them and why I was actually sent into this earth. I'm looking to build a kingdom that will last, and I can only build a kingdom that will last with stone, not with sand. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are now Peter. 
and on this rock I will build my church. What rock was he talking about? The rock of revelation. The rock is revelation. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, and on this revelation that you by the Spirit. Revelation does not come by the natural. Revelation always comes by the Spirit. Because of this revelation, I can build my church. On this revelation, I can build my church. On this revelation, I can build my kingdom. On the revelation that you know without doubt, you know you're not squandering, you're not floundering back and forth. You know who I am. You know why I was sent. Because you know that it is on that revelation I can build something that will last. And I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name, Peter. You know why I'm going to change your name, Peter? Because everybody else out there remembers you as the guy who didn't necessarily believe that the Messiah would come in my form. But I'm going to give you a new look. I'm going to alter your appearance because what I'm hearing come out of you doesn't match the Simon Bar-Jonah. What used to come out of you sounds very different than what's coming out of you right now. I'm about to shift that. I'm about to change something about you. I'm about to do a miracle in your mind and your spirit, Simon. I'm going to change your name to Peter. I'm never going to remember you as Simon Bar-Jonah again. I'm never going to remember you again as the guy who wondered, the guy who couldn't decide who I was or why I came. I'm going to remember you as the guy who came to establish yourself and walk in integrity and build this thing. Help me build something. And he says, I tell you, on this revelation, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail. The gates of hell cannot, the gates of hell, it's easy for them to rise up against uncertainty. If I do not know who my Christ is and I go back and forth, I I have to ask myself, has salvation really come? In fact, it has not. You cannot wonder who Christ is and at the same time say that you have received him. What did you receive? Which form of your uncertainty did you receive? Do you hear me this morning? Said, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, on this revelation, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot, they have no authority in the spirit. The gates of hell have no authority. This revelation that came to you came because you heard it from the Father in heaven. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the Spirit. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and everything that you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. I'm going to give you authority, Peter, because I can trust you with it. I'm looking to build a kingdom, and I need somebody who can stand at the gate. I'm building a kingdom and I need somebody who can stand at the rear guard. I need somebody that can stand on the east wing and in the west wing. I need somebody that can stand in every corner, every nook, every cranny, every place on the top and on the bottom, on the ground floor and on the 12th floor. I need somebody that I can count on. And I tell you, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ because you can tell them all day long. Listen to me right now. Jesus, it wasn't because he didn't want to be known. It's because he wanted to be known by the Spirit. That's right. The only way to truly know Christ is to know him by the Spirit. 
So I don't want you to tell anybody that I'm the Christ because if you go tell them that I'm the Christ, they're going to, in their mind, they're going to assume that they know what the Christ is. They're going to measure me based on what the Messiah's description is and their current law text. So they're going to measure me by that. This is, they're going to say, okay, this is what my priest said. This is what the Messiah looks like. They're going to, you tell them that I'm the Christ, they're going to say, oh, this is what he looks like. And then when they see me, they're going to be disappointed because I'm not going to fit that. Because that's a natural look. But I am the seed of God. And I'm not going to look like that naturally. Do you understand me this morning? So he says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Don't go out of here and tell anybody. It'll come. They might meet me. They might meet you. But the, as long as the integrity of the mission, my purpose was to bring the gospel into the earth and to redeem man. And as long as I find a people who will not violate it, but they are committed to the integrity of the mission, the revelation of Christ will come to them just like it came to you. Not because somebody said this is the Christ, but because they saw for themselves this is the Christ. This is the real Christ. Some say you're this, some say you're that. Confusion. Who do you say? And that's what the Father's asking about you and me this morning. He's looking to build a kingdom that will last. What, are, what about you and me? Who do we say? Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Are you sure you know who he is? Are you sure you know what it is that he wants to do in your life? Are you sure you understand the power and the authority that he has made available to you? Are you sure that when you identify him, you identify him as Christ, the son of the living God, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is, he is, he is, and he is. Don't dilute the mission. Don't dilute the mission. And the second thing I want to talk about, the ignoring factor. Turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. I'll give you a minute to get there. It's near the end of your Old Testament. Haggai chapter 1. We're going to put it up there on the screens as well. Haggai chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 1, and it reads like this. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. He sent his word to be established among several. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people... These people... Stuck in their ways, looking for it to be done the way it's always been done before. They measure everything in the present by the past. In fact, I read something this morning, early this morning, about Kanye West in regard to this. Not to this, but fits. And I read an article by a man, I don't know who he is, evidently, I think he used to be a rap star or something, now he's a minister or a preacher, I'm not talking about Kanye, I'm talking about a pastor, he's now a pastor. What is his name? I don't think that's him because he looks too young to be him. They had a picture of him. But anyway, so I saw this, and it's, it's, on, it's online, so you'll see it, I saw it this morning. 
And don't look now. But there was this pastor that is, was formerly a rap star, and the, the, basically the title is, and I'm paraphrasing this, but basically the title of the, the article was, Is Kanye Really Saved? Or Does Kanye Really Know Christ? I think that was it. And, um, and then it starts, it has a picture of Kanye, then it has a picture of this particular pastor, and I don't really know how well they know each other. It didn't really say, other than they had some connection in the past. And uh, to some degree. And this pastor basically says there's a lot of people out there that are questioning whether or not Kanye West really has received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And the nutshell of the story is this minister now shares a little bit about his story, how once he was a rapper and he was involved in all the drugs and the, all the other things that go along with living unrighteously. And he shares that and he said but then one day he said I came upon a situation or came into a situation heard a preacher whatever it was but he said I was led to the Lord and he said I received Jesus Christ he said I'm making millions as a rapper millions and I sat down and had a conversation with somebody and they talked to me about Jesus Christ and he said I received Christ he said I begin to immediately make comments publicly begin to change my songs what was in them, what I was writing. And he said, and people immediately begin to question, did he really, has he really received Jesus or is this just a ploy for attention? Is he just trying to make money from a different genre? And he said, and people did that, and he said, it bothered me, it hurt my heart, it hurt my feelings, because he said, in my heart, I knew that really something miraculous had happened in my life. And ultimately, he said, I gave up music and because I knew I was called to ministry and I started a church and I'm, however long he's been ministering now. He's young, he's not a very, he looks like he's in his maybe late 30s. But he's been ministering for years now. And he said, and I see the same thing with Kanye West. And he said, everybody's really questioning whether or not Kanye West actually has gotten saved. And he asked the simple question, basically this. He said, and who has the right to judge his present by his past. And who among us does not have a past? It might not be as ugly as his. But we all have one. In fact, some of ours might be even uglier. We're just better at disguising it. He said, so let's just do this. Can we agree to do this? Let's accept Kanye for who he is today. And until he gives us a reason to believe otherwise... Let's give him room to grow. I think it's beautiful. And I know people have said, you know, because he's, he's a believer and he's using some foul language and st he still uses colorful language every now and then, not so much. He even said, I saw something where he said he's trying not to, and this is not a Kanye West plug, but I did buy his album. And, um, and I actually liked it. And... Uh, Anyway, he uses some colorful language and he does some things that just don't look righteous still. Comments that he makes. But you know what? I have, I think, in the same way that Christ, I think that Christ went to Kanye West 
And it's very likely he said, follow me. And while you're walking with me, we'll get things straightened out. We're not going to straighten it out and then you walk with me. And we need to be patient with those who are getting things straightened out. Because the reality of it is, we're, I'm still getting things straightened out. If you can accept that, you can continue to hear, listen to me preach. If you can't accept that, then you don't want to hear anything else I've got to say. Because it isn't perfection standing in front of you. It isn't flawlessness standing in front of you. It isn't easy standing in front of you preaching this message today. It's a man that's walking it out in my walk with a king just like you are. And on my best day, I do all things well. On my worst day, I'll just put it this way, I don't. Amen? But on my best day, I'm walking with a king. And on my worst day, because the integrity of the mission is important to me. On my worst day, I'm still walking with a king. Do you hear me today? So I just insert that just as an extra this morning. But he says, in the, he's walking with all these people. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Love that word. Consider your ways. You've sown much. You've harvested little. You eat and yet never have enough. You drink and you're still always thirsty. You clothe yourselves, but you're still always cold. And he who earns wages does so simply to spend it not sow it. You gain for selfish purpose. The integrity of the mission is lost when everything that we do comes right back to you and me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, listen to this, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house one that I can take pleasure in and in, one, and in one that I will be glorified. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, it simply blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins while each, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on the ground that brings forth on, on man and beast and in all their labors. I want to address this today, the ignoring factor. We can never become so consumed with ourselves that we're willing to dilute the integrity of the mission in order to find pleasure in our current desires. I've said to my children, and I say it to them all the time. I said it even yesterday to them. But I say to my children all the time, none of my kids are married. I don't know when they might be married, and I don't know to whom they might be married. But I say to my children all the time, my wife and I stand in agreement on this, and we say it together. But I say to them all the time, I said, you need to be careful 
no matter who you're with or who you think you'll be with or who comes your way that you think will be your husband or be your wife. You need to be careful. Because one day down the road, if you choose to marry this person, one day down the road, you're going to sit across the table from them. And you're going to talk to them, and you're going to need to be happy with the conversation that you're having. You're going to want to know that they're talking about God the same way that you do. You're going to want to know that they believe the, the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit the way that you do. You're going to want to know that they want to raise your children the exact same way that you do. <laughs> You don't want them to say to your children that it's up to you whether or not your church gathers with the rest of the churches. It's up to you whether or not you show up on time. I've never understood a parent who left it up to the kids. That's a home where the children rule and the parents don't. I've never understood a parent that would say to a child, do you want to go? Because, you know, we don't want to force this thing on you. Really? Did you make them wait till they got their driver's license? Why didn't you give them the keys when they were three? I don't want to decide for you when you drive. The, very mo the most important thing in a kid's life is to find that integrity of the mission. What's important to you, mom and dad? Make it important to me until I can get the revelation on my own. Amen. Just yesterday I said to my kids, do not marry somebody that 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now is okay with simply staying at home while you go off and you gather among the believers. Or saying to the kids, do whatever you want. If you want him to be your God, that's okay. If you don't want him to be your God, that's okay. But see, a parent that will let their kids do that has themselves lost the integrity of the mission. They themselves have lost it because they've now diluted the mission. And where there is something that is diluted, it no longer maintains its integrity. Many times I've shared about the story of the Titanic and the, the reason that the Titanic, when they said in the beginning, they said it will never, it's unsinkable. But the reason that it sank is because the metal did not have the integrity to withstand the impact of that iceberg. Should have. But see, the more you temper that steel when that steel is tempered, and had it been tempered correctly, the molecules would have been formed closer together. Had it been heated and cooled and heated and cooled and heated and cooled the right amount of times as the engineers said it should have been, the molecules would have formed more tightly together. And when it hit the iceberg, it wouldn't have been able to pierce it. But because they did not follow the rules and what the engineers said, it needs to be heated and cooled and heated and cooled and heated and cooled and it needs to be tempered, tempered, tempered put through the fire and tempered. Because it's not put through the fire enough times, it lost its integrity. So the molecules, here's one, here's one, and it leaves a gap of strength right here, an open doorway. So all that iceberg had to do was pierce between those molecules. It lost its ability to withstand the pressure that it was about to face, that it was actually built to face. 
But when it came time to face it, because it had lost, it had diluted, diluted for sake of time, for sake of money, for sake of investment, it had diluted the integrity of it, and it sank, taking with it many lives. Is anybody hearing me in this room this morning? I said something today. I responded this morning early to a statement that Kevin Thomas put on Facebook some couple weeks ago, whenever it was. I just saw it. But I replied to it because he was confused a little bit about the difference between conviction and sin. Because I said last week, if you can live a single day without conviction, it's on that day that you've stopped hearing Holy Spirit. Because every single day we should live with conviction. Every single day at some point in every single day, Holy Spirit is always trying to grow us up. Because when we walk with a king, change happens as we walk. If we stop walking, conviction ceases. Once he's brought you to a certain point, you keep walking, conviction will come. And Kevin was a little confused between what, my, what I said between conviction and sin. And I responded to that this morning and I said the difference between conviction and sin is sin is disobedience and conviction is a road sign. It says, go this way, not that way. Conviction says, there's a better way. Sin is being disobedient to what I know is right and what I know is truth. And I say all that this morning because when we lose conviction, the, the ability to build a kingdom that will last, to do it with integrity and to maintain the integrity of the mission is impossible. Because it is through conviction that causes me to become more and more aware of what will cause this kingdom to last. And I am sold out to it. I know in the church world, we say oftentimes, church people, Christians, believers will say oftentimes, I would never sell the pearl of great price or that revelation that comes to me that lets me know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the pearl of great price and I will not cast it before the swine. I will not do that. And yet, they do it every day. Every time we dilute the mission, every every time we dilute the integrity of it, Every time we water it down, it's always, keep this in mind, 100% of the time, every time the integrity of the gospel is diluted, it is for selfish reasons, always. In the same way that Eve and Adam ate of the forbidden fruit, as Gaston said this morning, it was forbidden at that time, doesn't mean it would have been forbidden forever. But at the moment Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, Scripture says it was because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In other words, it was selfish. Every time we dilute the gospel, every time we water down the integrity of the gospel, or we make a decision and, again, say to the kids, it's up to you. You do what you want. Do you want to go? Do you not want to go? Do you want to be a part? Do you not want to be a part? And they're kids. When they're adults, they can do their own thing. When they're kids, they're your responsibility. So if they stop serving the Lord. It's your fault. It's on you. And you'll answer for it. For selfish reasons. And, and when they go and when we go and we dilute this, the Father's looking to build a kingdom that will last. And when he went to, it is, is it not interesting to you that the people that Christ went to, the 12 men that Christ went to were 12 men that the church of the day was not comfortable with. But he went and he called them out. He said, because you have integrity. 
I'm calling you and I'm calling you and I'm calling you because you know what my coming represents. And my coming into this earth represents a kingdom that I'm trying to build and it doesn't look like any kingdom that exists today. But I'm looking for a people that will rise up and have the integrity of the mission and are not selfish but are selfless. That aren't more concerned about their own house than they are about my house. And if they will build my house and they will focus and they will go to the hills. He didn't say go to the quick stop and get the wood. He said go to the hills. Go to the places and get the very best. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to climb the mountain and then you're going to have to put it on your back and you're going to have to carry it down. But the integrity of the mission requires a man and a woman that are sold out and that are committed. Jesus Christ came to build something that would last. He didn't come to build something that would blow away when the first wind blew. He didn't come to build a Venice that would wash away when the first flood in 50 years comes and begins to wash it away. Wash it away. Take it away. If it wasn't built to last, it needs to go because someone's going to hurt and get hurt in anything that isn't built to last. Isn't built to last in the storm. We find it so easy, so easy, so easy if we're not careful. Chris, if we're not careful, we find it so easy to begin to dilute the things that we're called to. And I'm going to tell you something. The integrity of this mission requires you and me to really pull up our britches our bootstraps, tighten everything up. Make sure you got work clothes on. And get into your homes. Listen to me. Get with your husband. Get with your wife. Get with your kids. And if there's things that have been watered down and diluted, begin to sort it out. Because the kingdom of God needs men and women like a Matthew and like a Peter and a James and a John that will stand up and say, I know this is, this is different, this is unusual, this is, but you, you've come to change the whole face of the earth. And if I believe that you are the Christ, and I'm not just trying to figure out, mm, will he do this, won't he do that? But I have faith. And I am confident that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. I am certain of it. There's no doubt in my mind, but I am certain of it because you have redeemed my life. And the integrity of this mission is important to me, and I'm committed to it. Hell or high water, you can count on me. I love what Tim Carney said this morning. He came in, he's not feeling well. And he came in and he said, in a nutshell, he said, I didn't feel well, but I knew it was important for me to be here. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, I knew it was important for me to be here. And even not feeling well, getting here is important. Tim Darnell, for years, he drove OTR over the road, trucking. For years, was over the road. Didn't matter where he was in America. Literally drive everywhere in America in that truck. Didn't matter where he was. If it were even remotely possible for him to be here when we gathered on Sunday morning, you would see him here. Because the integrity of the mission is important to him. And there wasn't anything going to keep him away. My son and I, I thought last night, and I'm going to read a scripture in just a moment in Matthew chapter 7. Turn there. 
But my son and I yesterday, we thought that we were going to be going to the Florida Gator game and knowing that it started at 7.30, go Gators, knowing that it started at 7.30, we knew that we would be home late. And I said to my wife, I said, we're going to be home really late, probably 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and then I'm going to get up at 5, and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach because it is who I am. And I am not confused about what I've been called to. And I am not confused about the one to whom I give my allegiance. And I am not confused about the king that I walk with. I know who he is. And I know why he came. And I know whether people agree or disagree with me is irrelevant to me. At the end of the day, does he agree? At the end of the day, does he say about me, you are a son in whom I'm well pleased? You're not trying to dilute what I'm trying to establish. You're not trying to say, I want, when I say I want wood walls, you're not trying to say, but we could do it cheaper if we use steel. He said, no. He said, Steve, whatever I say, you do. Let that be said of you. Amen. Is the integrity of the mission important to you? And where it has not been, if today you recognize that somehow you lost focus. Maybe in some way some things feel like you, you can't get it back. Maybe you've made decisions, you can't get that back. Let me tell you what can happen today. You can repent and God will forgive you. Just like that. The things that you lost sight of the integrity and you diluted it. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to pretend like it didn't happen. Simply say, Father, forgive me. I recognize today those places that I was beginning to dilute, that I had lost sight of the integrity of the mission. Somehow it had become less important to me than it is to you. Repent. And your repentance doesn't make you perfect. It just gets you back on the right track. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, reads like this. Very familiar. You know this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a fool who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What is the rock? Revelation. Let me read it again. And everyone who hears these words of mine, or let me back up. Uh, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on this revelation. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because that house had been founded on this revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, built on this revelation that I am the Christ, he said. 
the son of the living God. But those who took the easy way out, and it's always, it's always for the same reasons of Adam and Eve, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Gaston and I were talking this morning. We talked about how entitlement isn't something that happened in the Obama administration or the Clinton administration or whenever it was it started. Entitlement began with the first human that breath was breathed into. There was a sense. You said I can't eat of this fruit, but if you really didn't want me to, you wouldn't have put it here. So I'm entitled to it. Entitlement didn't happen in our generation. It's just been exacerbated in ours. What the Father's doing in you and in me and before us today, we have an opportunity to make a decision. What kind of man am I? What kind of woman am I? What kind of person am I? Am I the kind of person that is not going to try to build my house based on what flesh and blood reveals to me? But I'm going to build my flesh and blood, pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. But am I going to build my house based on what the Spirit of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, reveals to me. Do I believe in the life that I'm living? We could ask ourselves that we need to. Do I believe in the mission? Am I willing? Am I ready? Am I ready? Am I willing? Do I believe in the mission? And if I believe in the mission, I can only believe in it if I know in whom it is that is leading this thing. And if I'm choosing today to walk with a king, then I must understand that I am choosing to walk with a king who is building something to last, not to pass away with the first wind or to wash away in the first rain or flood. And if I'm going to allow this thing and I'm going to be a part of this thing building to last, I need to marry right. I need to raise my kids right. Because the kingdom lasts because it isn't a one generational kingdom. It lasts because it is generation to generation to generation. And I can't let this generation water down the next generation, water down the next generation. Does anybody hear me in this place today? That's why it lasts. That's why it lasts. What am I going to do with this? You ask yourself some questions today. This is a deep thinking word today. Couldn't wait to get to it. I knew what I was preaching today two weeks ago. But it's asking ourselves, am I the kind of man, am I the kind of woman, 
Am I the kind of person that can walk in the kind of integrity that will be a benefit to the mission of Christ, be an asset to the mission of Christ? I am committed to the integrity of the mission. And the mission is to build a kingdom that will last. And we build a kingdom that will last because it still exists in the generation coming after you and me. And let me finish with this. It's hard today in today's world because there's so many things, so many options, so many ways around. We justify things easily, quickly. That's not just in today. That's been throughout history. We just recognize it more today because we happen to be alive today. But like all humans throughout history, we justify. We qualify. We quantify. We whateverify. We do whatever's necessary to explain away away the reasons we make certain decisions. But I'm going to tell you something. The best way to secure the integrity of the mission is to understand that this generation that I'm in right now needs to carry on. And it doesn't happen because I tell the next generation to make up their own mind. But while they're under your authority, teach them well. Teach them what integrity is. Teach them what commitment is. Commitment isn't synonymous with easy. Commitment means on the most difficult day, you still do the right thing. When you feel like everything is lost and there is absolutely no hope, you do not forfeit your integrity because you believe in the purpose of Christ that He came to establish something and He's trusted you to be a builder in it. So stand with me. Honey, please join me. Father, if in any of us there is anything present in us, anything present in us, your word to us, the integrity of this call has in any way been diluted or compromised, first, help us to accept that we were selfish in our dilution. Help us to accept that we need to repent. And wherever repentance is needed today, let it be so. And let the commitment of every man and woman to the integrity of the mission to which you have called us be stronger today than it has ever been. You rule, you reign. The earth is completely yours and everything in it. 
May we own it like you own it. May we own it like you own it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. I bless you today. Put your hands together.